0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The first guest of the evening
0: is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think who has ever played the guitar or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot? Once upon a time I was on my own, once upon a time like you've never known, once upon a time I would be impressed, once upon a time my life would be obsessed, once upon a time, once upon a day when I was in my prime, once along the way, if you want to know my secret, don't come running after me, for I am just a painter passing through in history." This is Carefree Highway Revisited, the show that celebrates the work of Gordon Lightfoot song by song, brought to you by the Western Skies Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Messner, and along with me today, making her third appearance on Carefree Highway Revisited is my good friend, Deb Radwan. Deb, thanks so much and welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. I love it. We are midway through our mini series on autobiographical songs that Lightfoot has done. Why do you like this particular one? Clearly it is autobiographical, but a lot of them could fall into that category. Mm-hmm. What speaks to you about this one?
1: Well, you know, when it first came out, I was a little sad because I thought, oh my gosh, this is a swan song. You know, especially when he says, I'm just a painter passing through in history. I thought, oh, this is it. But, you know, then it wasn't the end, and that made me very happy. I think I liked it always, because I like the autobiographical songs, especially when it's so clearly autobiographical. It's not hidden in anything. You know, you kind of like hearing it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, you know, of what it was like. So I always liked it, but I think I like it now more than I did 20 years ago, because now there are other songs like Oh So Sweet, which was the last song we did, Mm -hmm. where you see even this greater wisdom and maturity come in. I love it.
0: You know, it is autobiographical, (laughs) and it does have a lot of commonalities with Oh So Sweet. And they're both towards the latter part of Gordon's Mm -hmm. career. The thing that I like about this is that I almost like it better than Oh So Sweet because he's being retrospective, but he's not being as contemplative. You know, he just is setting himself in context of what he's meant to the pop world and what he's meant to people who listen to him. It's not as wistful. Wistful. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. To me... I love listening to this song in the car, and I know you and I both listen to a lot of stuff in the car. That, but I also like to have it going when I'm at home doing chores. You know, if I'm unloading the dishes or I'm folding the laundry, or just because it keeps me going enough. It's got enough of a beat to it, and it's got enough percussion in it that it keeps me from getting bored. And it's a beautiful, beautiful melody. I was going to
1: say I agree with doing it around the house and doing chores. Because for me, it's almost like a rolling melody. Once when I was young, I was on my, you know, it's this up and down and a kind of a lilting and an easy melody to just fall into.
0: Yeah. And now, would you want to listen to it? I think you kind of said that you would want to listen to it while you're around the house, but in the car also? Car is my favorite place to listen to music. Mm -hmm. It, It
1: gets me out of the traffic. When I'm singing, it doesn't matter how busy it is.
0: Let's look a little bit at where the song came from. We know more or less when it was written. Jennings talks about, in the biography that he did, he says, and I'm quoting here, a backward glance, a number in which Lightfoot contrasts being in his prime, in demand, always in control, with facing his sunset years. By terms wistful, there's that word again, Mm -hmm. and melancholic, It's suggested that Lightfoot in his 60th year was coming to terms with his life and perhaps his place in Pop's pantheon. Wow, that's a lot to say in just a couple of sentences. Do you know anything about how the song got written or what the circumstances were? Well, you know, I pulled out the notes
1: in Painter Passing Through, and I was a little surprised to hear this. This is what he says. It's a very autobiographical in its nature or at least that's how it came out as such. It wasn't premeditated that way. I've always heavily drawn from natural settings and a lot of those images come back in the songs. It's painting through the use of lyrics. I was a little surprised when he says it wasn't premeditated because this song is so much about him Hmm. and the opening lines of the song, which we're gonna get to. I don't know how you can write those lines without it being premeditated.
0: If it was spontaneous, I mean, it says a lot about how he was able to write being at that age mm-hmm. and still had the ability to do it spontaneously because he had said before in previous interviews that the songs don't just pop off your head while you're walking down the street. Right. And in this case, you know, now he's around 60 if he hasn't hit 60 already now he just lets the muse do the talking and he did it in this way yeah well let's get into the lyrics because there's a lot to explore here once upon a time I was on my own once upon a time like you've never known and this is a tidy way of rhyming things certainly but when I read this I think to myself is he saying that His audience has no idea what it's like to be a working musician or to be a pop star. Or is there some other meaning to this idea like you've never known?
1: No, I think that is exactly what he's doing. Because at the time he's writing it, we've seen him as the big pop star, become an idol in Canada, and he's already at the top. And you forget that there were long roads to get there. And I think that's exactly what he's telling us is you have no idea where I've been and what it took to get here as
0: a starting out musician. Yeah, they can witness it, but they haven't, you know, experienced it. Right. Or they
1: can hear about it. He can say, I started in high school with trios and barbershop quartets, and then I was on TV as a square dancer. But we're not going through the years of those things. So I think that is what he's saying, that you don't know.
0: Well, not only that, but whatever we do know is only because he chose to share it with us. Right. You know, we Mm -hmm. don't have the actual experience and the fatigue and the substances and the hotel rooms and the long bus rides and goodness knows what else. Yeah. One thing I thought about this opening line, though, that I found really interesting. And
1: again, I have a hard time that it wasn't premeditated. He starts the story out once upon a time. It's like, that's how you start every story or fairy tale. And then is it a fairy tale? Or is it like a fairy tale that it came true? Because that once upon a time really grabs me
0: yeah and it is a classic it's almost a hackneyed way of Mm -hmm. starting a story because every fairy tale we grew up hearing they all began there was a beautiful princess or there was a frog or where there was this or the other yeah but he turns it into something much more creative than that meaningfully yes once upon a time i would be impressed once upon a time my life would be obsessed this is really interesting phrasing He's not saying he was obsessed, but that his life was obsessed, or maybe that his life was obsessed with, like fans or journalists were obsessed with him. I mean, he's got to have had some groupies or some people who followed Mm -hmm. him around saying, hey, Gordon, you've changed my life, or you're the Messiah, or you're the demon," or something like that. Right. Any thoughts on that?
1: Well- i'm sure there was some obsession and not necessarily with oh i want to be a big star but it's what do i do to get seen to get a bigger audience those little steps and i think you do get obsessed with where is my next gig how much is he going to pay me can i pay my rent with that doing his schedule when do i bring on a bass player when you know your life becomes all those details That I think you do become a little bit obsessed because everything you're thinking about is your music, your band, where you're going to be. Can you make a living at it? So I think in the beginning, it was a little obsessed. And then certainly as his popularity grew, his fans became perhaps obsessed with him. And the same with Impressed.
0: Perhaps Um, like ourselves. You know, yeah, exactly. you know, I mean, we have other facets of our lives besides Gordon Lightfoot, but, right. you know, the fact that we're sitting here talking about this. That's right. That we
1: have... And trying to figure out what his songs mean. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> That's right.
0: Yeah. We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan on A Painter Passing Through. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners. Hi, this is Audie Martello, the host of the Mostly Folk podcast, a 60-minute foray into the music we all love. You will hear newly released albums, classic folk, country, and bluegrass music, as well as some traditional music that may or may not be true to the genre, sometimes irreverent, often opinionated, but always entertaining. You may even hear a radio magic trick every so often, as well as numerous interviews via Zoom and telephone with established as well as indie artists. Mostly Folk is available wherever you listen to podcasts and always at mostlyfolk.org. Once upon a time, once upon a day, when I was in my prime, once along the way, I didn't feel anything deep about that particular couplet. It just seemed like it was tidy writing and a good way to lead into the chorus. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more about the melody there because I like what the melody had to do in that particular instance. If you want to know my secret, don't come running after me, for I am just a painter passing through in history. And this is amazing humility and amazing yes. honesty from him. Okay, he's saying he's not a shaman or a shaman. Mm-hmm. He's not someone who has, as David Crosby would say, you know, a patented path to send somebody else free. Right. He, he is not the way, the truth, or the life. You know, doesn't he have the doesn't Get have all
1: the answers. He doesn't have all the answers. Success.
0: Yeah. You know. He's just somebody who painted pictures with his music. With his words. and the music. With his words and his music. And now he's starting his end game in life. Mm-hmm. He's cheated the grim reaper at least once in his life. No, right. Um, and God willing he will do that again. But, you know, when he gets to be sixty, my guess is that after the life he had had up until that particular time, he realized, okay, that there are more yesterdays mm-hmm. than there are tomorrow's,
1: right. And, and I think it's you're right about the humbleness. I'm just that mm-hmm. just says it all about how. I'm really no one. I just painted pictures with words. I'm just the guy who did that.
0: Yeah. Dylan said it once, I think, and it may have been Don't Look Back or in some other, you know, somebody was asked, you know, how do you think of yourself? And he said, I'm just a guitar player. You know, exactly. well, he turned out to be much more than that, but that's a different right. podcast. Right. Yesterday is gone. Yesterday's all right. Yesterday belongs in my dreams at night. And I loved this because it says... That he's respecting his past, but he's not living in it. Very much present in what was going on in his life at the time that he wrote the song. And I dare say he still is because he's still releasing material and he's still performing. He will probably do a whole lot of stuff from previous records, but he's not going to just sit home and collect royalty checks. Right. Mm.
1: And I love that again, like, oh, so sweet. He uses his dreams at night as a place of safety. You know, um, yesterday belongs in my dreams at night. And in Oh So Sweet, he talks about healing in my dream world. You're close to the ground. I can hear the rumble of the things I love. He's got this consistent theme of in his dream world, there's safety and his memories and they're safe. And he continues that same theme with maybe a little bit more wisdom and oh so sweet. So he definitely likes that theme yeah. and that image. And as soon as I read that again, I thought, oh, my gosh, there's that
0: same theme again. You know, I wonder if he was thinking about Painter passing through when he was writing oh so sweet. Clearly, he's not trying to duplicate them. Right. But There's got to be, I can't imagine that he didn't, it didn't go through his mind in some way when he was writing the song that we talked about last time, right? Yesterday is swell. Yesterday is great. Yesterday is strong. Remembering can wait. And he seems to be looking to the future, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever he thought that would be in 1996 or 1997. And I don't know if he thought that he'd still be around in 2021.
1: I don't know if you thought he'd still be around in 2021, but that line certainly tells me that I still have more to do. I'll remember later when I'm sitting in the rocking chair and can't do this anymore. Yeah,
0: when he physically can't do it anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Once upon a time, once upon a day, when I was in my prime, once along the way, if you want to know the answer, I can't turn your life around for I am just a painter passing through the underground. And again, he's acknowledging that he doesn't have a key to the universe. He's not a guru. He's not telling people, you know, look to me, you know. Doesn't have all
1: the answers.
0: Doesn't have all the answers, okay. And he's passing through the underground. Now, there's a lot of different ways you can take that. But the way I took it was that if he ever had a high profile, he certainly doesn't have it by the mid nineties because people's tastes have changed because right. he's been out of the spotlight, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe because a couple of albums didn't sell well. So people have moved on to other things, but he has a much lower profile now than he did before. And he seems okay with it. He was not the Beatles. He was not the Stones. He was right. not Dylan. He was not Elvis. He wasn't somebody who you throw it out there and you know that bajillions of people are going to buy it just because it's you. And he seems to be reconciled to that. I mean, certainly he likes the fame. He likes the money. He likes the prestige. But he also realizes that his star is not perennially up in the heavens.
1: No, I agree. And the fact that he made this the refrain Don't come to me. I don't have all the answers. I can't turn your life around. I'm just a painter passing through the underground. That's the refrain that he chose for that song to reiterate over and over again. And I think he is very satisfied with where he is and what he's done. And, you know, he's saying, Yesterday was great. I still have work to do. I don't have all the answers. He seems very content
0: in this song content, but I would say not smug, you know, he's Absolutely. not saying, you know, Hey, okay, I'm done. This is it, you right. know, and now I'm just going to, as I said, stay home and collect the royalty checks right. and show up on TV once every right. few years. I was in my stride, always at my game. Here comes Mr. Cool along the walk of fame. And he's talking about the energy that he had as a young man and the creativity he had, I mean, just the output of songs that he did in his early years Mm in early, I mean, from mid sixties to let's call it 78, 79. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know exactly how many songs he wrote, but it was prolific. He wrote probably at least a hundred, maybe more. And those
1: albums in that period of time were every
0: one of them was better than the next. I think endless wire is where the critics began to realize, okay, he's running out of gas a little bit. Yeah. And he kind of changed
1: his sound a little bit in that one too.
0: Yeah. We can talk about that another time. He probably thought of himself as Mr. Cool, or maybe he thought his fans thought of him that way because he certainly did create a profile. Right. And he did cast a shadow, whatever metaphor you want to use. Right. I think he's also talking about his work ethic a little bit. Always at his game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which means that he was always writing songs, but he was doing it in a very deliberate way.
1: Well he was obsessed.
0: And he was obsessed.
1: Yeah. And so,
0: but he took the time to do that. I mean, it wasn't just something while I'm living in it. I mean, he actually Mm -hmm. would go to that room wherever it was and sit down at the table and get it done.
1: Well, and he does have that strong work ethic in Jennings book. And on that documentary, they talk about his work ethic and practicing and getting it right, being a perfectionist and, you know, not taking a day off. And so he does have that work ethic.
0: We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan on A Painter Passing Through. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners. Are you a fan of true crime, cults, conspiracies, and all things sinister? Then tune in with me, your host, Steph, every week for a new episode of the Sinister Story Hour. You can find the Sinister Story Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, I can't help but contrast him to a couple of other artists that sort of in the stratosphere of pop history, Dylan and Neil Young. There have been times in Dylan's career where I honestly think he didn't have very much to work with, and so he kind of threw things together and put them out, and the critics reacted accordingly. There are times that I have thought in the past, Dylan's just phoning it in. Mm -hmm. Neil Young, his work ethic has been just perverse. He will go from one genre to another genre, to a third genre, back to the first genre, back to this band, back to another band, all over the place. And it's not that he's not productive, it's just that you never know what you're going to get. And what he's writing is inscrutable in its own way. He's had massive amounts of success with it, but it's consistently inconsistent. Yeah, You know, with Lightfoot, it is consistently consistent. You know, you know what you're going to get with very few exceptions. Right. You know, you're going to get transparency and you're going to get a real nice pop sensibility. Right. With all of that. The Walk of Fame, I have never thought of him as part of the Hollywood crowd. I just don't think his vibe has ever worked with that. But he does have a star on the Canadian Walk of Fame. Not the Hollywood one. And I've never been to either one of those. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but he just doesn't seem to be a creature of Hollywood. Right. You know, the same way that the Eagles.
1: I think he has some Hollywood friends. When we go to concerts here on occasion, we'll see some celebrities going and talking to him and everything. But you're right. He does have a different vibe than artists that were in L.A., living in L.A., from L.A., or New York. He has every right to say, (laughs) I was in demand, Mr. Cool. He was all those things. He was riding a huge tide. So I don't think it's being overblown. I think he's just stating, there was a time where I was at the top of the heap.
0: But he's also not, as I said before, he's not smug about it. And he's not doing right. that sort of old Nicky Rooney thing. Not I was one. the biggest in the world. Bam, right. the world. Right. And it goes on. I was in demand, always in control. The world was in my hands. My touch had turned to gold. Well, he was definitely in demand. There's, there's mm-hmm. absolutely no doubt about that. He's got the record sales to prove it. Right. But I don't know if he has been a, very much of a control freak. You know, I always think of people being very imperious about their music or about the artistic process, but Lightfoot has never come off as being that much of a control freak. Do you have a different angle on that? I think he
1: could be if he's right. So, like in that documentary, he talked about when they wanted to change the name of the album. And he flew from Canada to L.A. to say, you are not changing the name of this album. Mm -hmm. And then they talked about, you know, what's the difference in sales? And then he was like, okay, you can change, you know. But I mean, he got on a plane and flew from Canada to L.A. to put his foot down. And then he laughs on that documentary and says, I never fought with record company again about what they wanted to do. So I think he can be but i know he's a perfectionist
0: so oh yeah yeah no. he's absolutely a perfectionist and we've alluded to that in some other conversations that we've had yeah. but you know i would think that if he were truly a control freak he would have said i don't care if it costs me eight times the royalties i am not changing it and right. and that would have been spiteful but he would have right. maintained complete control right so that's what i mean about being control freak as opposed to being a perfectionist mhm but he probably did think in 76 or 77 or 78 that he couldn't turn a wrong foot. Yeah. All of the deals and all of the money yeah. coming in and all of the fame. And, and the record sales and the concerts and, yeah. and the touring and the jet and everything mm-hmm. that went along with that 70s excess,
1: the boats,
0: the, the boats, everything that the Eagles right. talked about, you know, right. they're mm-hmm. very much California creatures, right. so very much a Canadian creature. Mm-hmm. And I liked the Midas touch reference. I thought that was very nice. Mm -hmm. So good. Once upon a time, I was in a daze when I was in my prime once along the way. And that's a nice little deviation. Might be referring to his being drunk at some of his gigs. Or it might be just in a daze at the pop lifestyle that he had back at that time. I mean, if you think about the things that we've talked about, it's enough to leave you in enough of a daze where you don't know what's going on anymore.
1: Right. The drinking occurred to me, and also just that things are moving and happening so fast. And you're on a plane and you're playing here one night and you're here the next night. and you got three days here, and now you're cutting another record, and you're making a television appearance, and you just won some award, and that it's just a blur. And so that's kind of what I took from
0: that. If he hadn't been 40 years old, it killed him. Mm-hmm. Then the last verse. Now, he wasn't old in the classic sense when that song was written, but mm. he definitely is today. And I'm wondering if he's saying that. Even if he ever was in demand that much the way he was in 76, 77, 78, that he would never want to go back to that lifestyle. He's saying, you know, let me rest. Even if a painter passing through had reached number one and it never even vaguely came close, I don't think he would have wanted that level of success and having to return to the road like that again.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And that whole thing did affect his family life. And I think by this time he was aware of that. So I I don't think he wanted to go back. And when I heard this and he said, let me rest a spell and I'm a painter passing through, I thought, oh, this is it. This is the swan song. But clearly there are other lines in here that are hopeful of, I've got more to come. But yeah, I think at this point, it's kind of like, I'm tired. I can't move and do what I did. 20 years ago, 30 years ago.
0: And then he says, all that I am told, I can never tell. Not completely sure what he means by that phrase, except maybe that his short-term memory isn't what it once was, that he can't remember what people tell him. And so it goes in one ear and out the other.
1: I just took it as I've seen a lot and I'm never going (laughs) to tell you. That's how I took it. I know a lot of secrets. I've seen people do a lot of, things and i'm not gonna ever spill the beans
0: and i don't want the beans spilled i mean no i don't me, either me personally i mean we know enough there have been enough little exposés right we know a little bit about some of his indiscretions we know right. about his addictions and his hangups. and i right. don't want to know about every party you ever went yeah. to you know all those right. kinds of things i really don't i don't know i don't people. either yeah. or uh secrets about other people that he knows. Right. I don't want to know. Yeah. And if we ever do find out, it won't be from Gordon Lightfoot. I yeah, no, I don't yeah. think so. Right. Never in my life, never will it pass. I am still alone, remembering at last. Very mysterious line here. Never will it pass. What will never pass? Is it his muse that will never pass? Is it his spirit for music, his spirit for the stage that will never pass? What do you think? I think it's his
1: life his past um never in my life will it happen again never will it pass again i'm still alone and i'm remembering at last the past isn't going to change it's not going anywhere that's kind of how i take those lines
0: so you're taking the verb never will it pass in the sense that it came to pass Yes. Okay, so it's never going to happen again.
1: Never going to happen again. All that success, everything that happened, it's there. I'm remembering at last, certainly in this story, in this song, he's remembering, except for the secrets he won't tell us. But, uh, you know, I think this is, again, a reconciliation of that was great. The past was great. It's not going to pass this way again. It's done.
0: We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Ratwan on A Painter Passing Through. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners. Class is now in session. Question. What North American nation was once richer than the entire United States? Answer. Haiti. Join Seth Donnelly, Pierre Laboisier and me as we explore the triumphs and struggles of this vibrant country in Fais la Force, a new podcast from the Western Skies Podcast Network. That's F-A-I-T-L-A-F-O-R-C-E. Available on Buzzsprout, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What does he mean by I am still alone? Was he not married at that time? Was he saying, you know, I'm still experiencing something that no one else will ever understand? Or does he mean that he's still a solo performer, meaning he never joined a band?
1: Well, I did not look up the dates of his marriages. But I know that there was a period around this time where he was interviewed and he kind of said, I'm not getting married again. I had marriages, they didn't work out. I think that's over for me. Mm -hmm. So it kind of reminds me of this, but it could just mean you walk in your past alone. And even if people are there with you, you are still alone living your past. Mm -hmm. So whether you're in a band with four other guys, whatever it is that happened to you that you remembered, your struggles, your addictions, your women, your music, your successes, your fame, you're alone in that. It's kind of like when they say you die alone. Mm -hmm. You can have a room full of people around you, but you die alone. And I kind of think of it that way, too, that everything that happened, it happened to him, and those are his memories. He is
0: alone. And that kind of brings us to the end of the song, Mm -hmm. lyrically, except for the reprise in the the choruses. Now, the song was the title track on A Painter Passing Through, which I believe came out in 98. It was released as a single, but neither the album nor the single charted in the United States. The album got to 98 in Canada which is nothing to sneeze at, but it's certainly not where he was in previous years. The single was number 46 on the Canadian adult contemporary chart. So it's respectable, but it showed that he was certainly in a different frame of mind and the tastes of the audience were different than what they had been. Right. Now we get to the musical part of it. The melody to me is such an amazing thing because it's lilting it's cheerful and it shows that he still has a good range even though his lower register by this time was gone I mean he can't hit the low notes anymore his voice did sound you know that he's trying he's got most of the equipment but he can't get down to his baritone range and a lot of people I think when this record came out they thought what happened to his voice Because it was so different from what they had heard even earlier in that decade. Right. They'd heard him doing stuff where he had a lot more resonance. And his voice probably changed due to age, due to physical conditions, those kinds of things.
1: He said That that his voice, aside from you do lose the lower range as you age, but he said that his surgery, he lost a lot of the ability to catch the air to Mm -hmm. let the air out. So he said it wasn't
0: so much the notes as trying
1: to sustain notes.
0: There aren't a whole lot of sustained notes or sustained words in this. I mean, it's pretty much moving along, moving along, moving along. He doesn't emphasize a whole lot Mm -hmm. of things here. The best part of the melody for me, you know, when he's going, when I was in my prime, once along the way. Because that's that's the beginnings of a guitar scale right there. That's a pentatonic guitar scale or the first few notes of it. And so when I thought, I said, whoa, that's really kind of cool that you built that in and mm-hmm. your voice carried it off. That's kind of some inside baseball for guitar players. Yeah. But, you know, mm-hmm. you realize that. What's your favorite part of the song? You mentioned the melody, but can you say a little bit more about what about the melody touches you? Well, you mentioned the word lilting. Mm-hmm. It
1: is a lilting melody. It has a nice up and down to it. But what I really like, I, I think I've mentioned I'm really a word person. Right. And the melody seems to complement the words so well that he does this song still a lot in concert. And when he's out there, especially just with his guitar, it is soft, it's lilting. It's like he's talking to you, telling you a story of how it was, how it's been. I just really like how the music complements
0: that message. It is really a perfect fit, but then he's always had a gift for that. I mean, the music mm-hmm. and the lyrics always complement each other very, very well. And we'll talk about the personnel in just a second. Mm-hmm. I think you know what's coming here, Deb. But if you have your notes, great. If you don't, then I'm going to ask you to go ahead and take a shot at this. How many times has Gordon played this song in concert?
1: Well, he plays it a lot in concert. But the album came out, let's say, 23 years ago. It's a favorite of people's.
0: More than 500. Correct answer is according to setlist.fm, 720 times. That's a lot. It's probably in that sort of Jimmy Buffett style where you know that there's going to be 10 or 12 songs that he's always going to play. And this is probably one of those. first time he played it was in Hamilton, Ontario at the Hamilton Place Theater on November 9th, 1996. So we're coming up on an anniversary of that. Uh, And then most recently it was in July 20th of 2021 at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa, which is where... He played his last gig before his most recent uh, procedure Oh, okay. on his wrist. Now on the album, clearly there were quite a few people who played on it. I won't name all of the names because not everybody played on this track, but Gordon was playing guitar and played Mm -hmm. it great. Terry Clements was still with the band, so he played that. Bill Dillon was playing electric guitar and what's called the Gitorgan which is probably some mid-90s piece of technology. There were two other electric guitar players, Wendell Ferguson and John Lewis. Mike Heffernan was playing synthesizer and keyboards, and I can definitely hear that. Mm-hmm. Rick Haynes was playing bass, and Barry Keene was playing drums. And as may be indicated by his age and his condition, he actually had backing vocalists on this, which he has not had a ton of in a lot of his recordings, but he actually used some backing vocalists, especially on the chorus of the song. This is a pretty powerful group of uh, musicians we have here. As we sit here in early November of 2021, no one has covered this song. And We've said before many times that covers are not necessarily the greatest things for any artist, but I can honestly say when we do these shows, I try to think about who I could imagine singing this, and I'm coming up empty on this one. I can't imagine anybody except Gordon doing this, and I honestly don't want to hear anybody try.
1: I totally agree with you. And to me, this song is so personal to him, even though it's a common tale, perhaps, among musicians, you know, these one hit wonders or whatever, his storytelling of it seems so personal. I I really can't imagine anyone else doing it.
0: Yeah. And not only can I not imagine, I don't want to imagine. Yeah. And I don't want to think about somebody else doing it. I agree. Um, Even more so than Oh So Sweet, honestly, because we've imagined other people singing it. But this Mm -hmm. one can't imagine anybody singing it and not going to try. Yeah. Uh, so anybody who's listening to this, yeah, you can take any of the other songs, but don't <laughs> cover this one. Deb, as we're wrapping up here, are there any other thoughts on the song? Why it belongs in sort of the great autobiographical pantheon? Well,
1: like I said earlier, for me, anytime you hear directly from the artist about their experience, and it isn't a vague reference to fame or loss or regret or wistful. This is so specific. It's like hearing him tell his story. And that's what I like about it. It's like I'm a big reader and I have a lot of books from like the time of Henry VIII. Reading an account by someone who was there is so much more interesting than reading a paragraph in a history book. Oh, yeah. Primary sources. Yeah. So to me, it's kind of like that feel. A story about that kind of experience could be good, but when it's someone saying, I was in my prime, I was at the top of my game, I'm okay with the past, it's just so much
0: more intimate and personal. And it's more meaningful when you're getting it, as you said, straight from the horse's mouth, even though the disadvantage to that is that you don't know what the repercussions of that will be at that point. This is something I teach my students all the time. So you're talking about primary versus secondary sources. So you're talking my language here. Deb Radwan, thank you so much for coming on the show again. And we're going to continue the series next time. And thanks for listening, everybody. If you liked this well enough to listen to the whole thing, tell somebody about it. Carefree Highway Revisited is on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com. We'll be talking about Gordon's song, In My Fashion. Until then, this is Mike Messner for Deb Radwan saying, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell." We'll see you next
1: time. Once upon a time, if I was on my own, once upon a time, like you'd never know. Once upon a time, I would be impressed. Once upon a